that is exactly what, obviously, the counterintelligence program, the psychological ops, wants people to believe. Because that is what they believe. Because believe me, when they're doing psychological ops, you're going to believe what they want you to believe. You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times. Broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Welcome back to the next installment of our discussion on counterintelligence, black ops, psyops, and the 9-11 truth movement. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Something happened really strange back in 2003. And remember that I, at this time, didn't know that Jeff Brantz was close friends with Jay Wiedner and Vincent Bridges. What happened was in the spring of uh, 2003... I had been working away on, you know, forensically examining as much data as I could get my hands on about 9-11, and I had already written the uh, the Boeing article, uh, the comments on the Pentagon strike, based on what I had uncovered, researching uh, the background of Terry Mason's book, about the Pentagon strike. What was the title of that book, Henry? Well, the first book was The Big Lie, yeah. and the second was The Pentagate. Right. So so many readers had written to ask me what I thought about this, and I, of course, immediately, just like anybody else uh, in the 9-11 Truth Movement, I, you know, I saw this as an obvious trap. Create something that is so outrageous and and get people to believe it and to promote it and to promulgate it and then expose it for the lie that it is and then everybody looks stupid and then they you know the the whole nine eleven movement falls apart. I mean this was kind of the thing that happened to uh, what was what was the name of the guy the newsman who 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 uh, exposed Bush's history with the uh, National Guard. Oh, Dan Rather. When Dan they, Rather. And they yeah. slipped him some faked documents that discredited yeah. the entire story. Right. And it although did, it didn't discredit. The, the story was true. It's just that the documents were the, fake. The documents and were it, fake. And this is, you know, right in the pattern of this of this Niger yellow cake thing, yeah. you know, documents that are obviously faked. You know, I had produced the article about the Pentagon because by the time I finished examining the evidence, and it was funny because it was kind of like the whole UFO alien thing. I began as a as a complete skeptic, but the more I examined the evidence and the more I examined the so-called testimony of the alleged witnesses uh, and the fact that there was conflicting testimony and having some knowledge of how uh, testimony can be uh, contaminated, can be completely wrong, and also that people who have agendas can be persuaded to lie for any number of reasons. And also I noticed that, you know, the thousands of witnesses that you would expect to come forward, you know, they just simply didn't exist. I mean, there are, what, 25, 30 witnesses total, and yet we're talking about something that should have been seen by by literally thousands of people. So I wonder where all those other thousands of people are. You know, have they been gotten to? Have they been, you know, shut up or whatever? But in any event... Uh, I wrote that article and in response to requests from readers, and by that time I had a pretty good idea that 
No Boeing 757 hit the Pentagon. And if we notice, you know, most of the 9-11 movement cleverly did not buy that trap. And why didn't they buy that trap? Because the idea was planted very early on that if you buy that, you're going to discredit the whole 9-11 movement. I mean, this, this was leaked. This is part of the Hall of Mirrors. Well, in any event, not too long after, and and I want to say that on, on the 14th of September 2001, I wrote an article about 9-11 and pretty much identified uh, Israel as being the chief beneficiary, qui bono, that, uh, that the likelihood of Mossad and the, the, the state uh, intelligence agency in this, uh, of Israel being the only one who had the capability of pulling this off in, in cahoots with the United States uh, secret government or the neocons. So I think that I was probably one of the first people who identified or who, shall we say, fingered Israel and Mossad. But in spring of 2003, I began to collect more of this evidence together, and the reason was was that there was an article about another Israeli moving company being stopped under suspicious circumstances. Well, I'd already read a couple of these kinds of articles, and I remembered these things, so I wrote a, a piece entitled Mossad and Moving Companies. Well, this piece was picked up and flew around the world in just a few days, translated into six languages almost overnight. And because of this article, Jeff Rentz invited me to be a guest on his internet radio show. What an honor. What an honor, yes. The strange thing about it was, no sooner had the announcement gone up than Jeff Rentz immediately published an extremely vicious defamatory piece about me written by the psychopath Vincent Bridges. It also had Jay Wiener's byline on it. Well, now keep in mind, still at this point in time, I am not aware that Jay Wiener and Vincent Bridges are close friends with Jeff Rentz. So my husband, uh, you know, wrote to him and pointed out to him that it was defamatory, pointed out to him, you know, uh, the specific details that were defamatory, showed him how he could discover that this was defamatory. And, and that this was hardly a way to in, in introduce or in, invite a, a guest onto his show. Yeah, that it was, it was, it was quite, a, quite a shocking Peculiar. thing, to, to say the least, to invite someone on the show and then publish defamatory writings about them. I mean, I don't think I have ever seen Jeff Rentz do that before. Now, he's had people on his show, and then he has published defamatory things about them afterwards, or supposed, you know, great revelations or unveilings about them being, you know, whatever the, whatever they're being accused of being. I think David Booth was one of them, and, and I think he used to have David Icke or David Icke on his show, and no longer has him, but understand that David, David Icke is a close friend of Alex Jones, and they they hang out together. And Alex Jones is also a close friend of, of Jeff Rentz. They hang out together, and they pat each other on the back and link back and forth with each other. So they're, so they're still all in bed together. But in any event, we wrote to Jeff Rentz about this, and uh, or to his webmaster. And several days went by, and nothing happened. And so we resent several, I mean, you know, keep, this, this article was up there on his website for, for days. And it should have been taken down instantly. 
And finally, after several days went by, we got an email from his, uh, it says from jrrents.com. So uh, I'm assuming, uh, no, 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 it says from James Neff. And he writes, I want to apologize to you for not having the offending material removed. We've apparently become besieged by a nasty little hacker who just loves to interfere with the communications between Jeff and myself and always on crucial matters. Even with the removed comment, some people will be caching the file, and that's likely what the hackers want to see, confusion and upset. Please accept my apologies for this situation. James Neff, webmaster, rents.com, etc. Well, at the time, like I said, I didn't know that Jeff Rents and Jay Wiener and Vincent Bridges were really close friends, and, and if you'll take the time to read the articles about Vincent Bridges, and also I have uh, a, a complete correspondence exchange between myself and Jay Wiedner, uh, you'll be able to make your own evaluation of what kind of people these individuals are, and I don't think it'll be very favorable. And once you do that, and then you keep firmly in mind that they are very good pals of Jeff Rents, then you begin to wonder about Jeff Rents himself. So then... We decided that, yes, this could have been just a confusion because, you know, Jeff Rents is, is such a popular guy and, and everybody says such nice things about him and sings his praises. And and he's, and he's always there with the important stories. Right. And, and he's he's just, you know, he's just, you know, just a great guy. And everybody just loves Jeff Rents and everybody loves to be on his show and and I mean, come on, seven-time Peabody Award nominee and 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 100 Best Talkers Award and 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 all these years in in uh, regular television as a newscaster and then he gave it all up to to go and be a uh, uh, an alternative news person. I mean, geez, I mean, what a great guy. Well, one one question uh, that. Probably some of our listeners have is how do you know that uh, the Jeff Rents and Vincent Bridges and Jay Wiedner are such good I'm pals? coming to that. Okay. Just all things in good time. <laughs> all things in good time. <laughs> yes. So the thing is, is that we let it go by and we continue to to link to Jeff and to you know to support Jeff with uh, you know with our you know, our energy and our commentary, and and uh, we'd always say nice things about him and so forth. So it was, uh, you know, we let bygones be bygones. I mean, Jeff Jeff had explained that the reason that he published this article was it was, was something he didn't read, that he had received articles from Jay Wiener before. He saw the name, so he just put it up without reading it, and that's why he didn't realize that he was defaming his invited guest. So I accepted this explanation and let bygones be bygones. So Jeff Rents uh, gets an email from a friend, and his friend says, here's an article, put it up, and he puts it up. Well, he... He, he doesn't tell him the subject, uh, at least. Apparently not. Sounds a bit suspicious to me. Of course, what I accepted at the time it sounded like a reasonable explanation. I wanted to believe it because, I mean, who was I to say Jeff Rents wasn't a really nice guy? So then, later on in October of 2004, 
we decided to advertise our book with Jeff Rents because we thought, well, well, we'll contribute a little bit to his income and, and, you know, we'll get a banner ad or something and, and have a, have, have a nice relationship. You know, let's all hang out together. We're all on the same team, right? So in October of 2004, we had a number of exchanges with James Neff, Jeff's webmaster, about getting our ad put up. And there was some delay about this also. So once again, we got emails saying, oh, I didn't get your email. Darn spam blocker probably nabbed your mail. I have answers below in line. If you want to renew your book banner, just three, send $300 made out to Jeff Rents and send to the address below in an envelope marked book banner renewal. Okay, so that's all pretty ordinary. And then he gives us, you know, a special deal for maximum exposure, et cetera, et cetera. So we wrote back, yes, we'd like to go with the book banner plus option, dispatching a check for $600 from our U.S. accountant to the address you specified. And then the interesting thing was, this was not too long after we'd published the Pentagon Flash. And Joe had written, he said, on a slightly different topic, which may be of interest to you and or Jeff, Laura was recently interviewed by a reporter from the Washington Post about the Pentagon Strike Flash presentation that Jeff linked to on his page and which can still be accessed on our Signs of the Times. Now, the funny thing about this was, was when we came out with the Pentagon Flash, Jeff put it up on his page. It was there for a few hours, and then it was gone. And the only reason we could figure out that it was gone was because it had a link to our website in it. But anyway, this was an interesting thing. So after the... Um, after the interview with the Washington Post, Joe had written this this email. So the reporter told us that by the Washington Post estimation, the number of people that viewed the flash at that point was somewhere in the tens of millions, hence their interest in investigating and publishing an article on the subject. According to the Washington Post, we were single-handedly responsible for bringing attention back to the issue of the Pentagon strike and shortly after this, of course, you know, the, the flood of debunkery came along from uh, Scientific America and Popular, Popular Mechanics, Mechanics and Mike Rupert. Mike Rupert, yeah. Um, I mean, all, all, all of the and, and I mean, a, a whole all the big guns, a whole yeah, all the big guns started saying, "Oh no, if you say any, you know, if you believe in the, you know, no, no, seven fifty seven at the Pentagon." And of course, they always confuse it and say that you're saying no plane at the Pentagon. Nobody is saying no plane at the Pentagon. Just saying not flight flight seventy seven. So the major theme of the whole nine eleven truth movement is. Don't talk about no plane at the or no seven fifty seven at the Pentagon, because if you do, you're going to get trapped. And that is exactly what, obviously, the counterintelligence program, the psychological ops, wants people to believe, because that is what they believe. Because believe me, when they're doing psychological ops, you're going to believe what they want you to believe. So it was a psychological ops trying to convince people that it was a psychological ops. Yeah. Yeah, that's reverse. Double, yeah, double reverse psychology. And of course, the other aspect of nine eleven that they don't want to touch is Israeli involvement. Yes. Well, we're going to come to that too. 
So James I Neff, thought as much. Yeah, James Neff writes back, Wow, that's a load of hitch. You know, we should put that link on our permanent items on the left column. I'll see what Jeff thinks. I know he was impressed with it. I'll also pass along your contact info in case he may want her as a guest. Well, of course, it did not get put in the permanent links, and nobody ever contacted us to talk about it. More problems with the spam, probably. No doubt. So in the follow-up email, Joe wrote, Regarding the Pentagon strike flash presentation and the possibility of Jeff being interested in an interview with Laura, there are a lot of websites out there with analyses of the Pentagon attack, and I'm sure Jeff has already had guests on his show discussing the matter in depth. The flash presentation we produced does not really add anything new to the debate and simply presents the evidence in a professional and easily accessible format, which seems to have been the secret of its success. That is not to say that Laura would have nothing to offer Jeff's radio listeners. Quite the contrary. As I mentioned before, Laura was a guest on Jeff's show in June of 2003. The topic of discussion revolved around Laura's expose of covert Israeli intelligence operatives in the U.S. and her article, Mossad and Moving Companies, which Jeff was very impressed with. However, at the time, we were rather annoyed about the fact that the day before the interview, an article appeared on Rents.com which contained all kinds of defamatory and libelous allegations about Laura and her family. The authors of the article were people who we have proven to be part of a New Age COINTELPRO operation. You know the sort, New Age grifters and the con men who exploit the gullibility of people looking for answers outside of the mainstream. Thankfully, and to his credit, Jeff removed the article. During the interview, Laura made a number of attempts to broaden the discussion and bring in a topic that is seldom, if ever, talked about, i.e. the concept of hyperdimensional realities. Since our experience is that this is one subject that the powers that be do not want brought to public awareness. Perhaps, understandably, Jeff seemed anxious to keep on topic and hyperdimensions did not get much airtime. If Jeff were to be interested in another interview with Laura, this would be one of the topics she would be keen to discuss, and it would definitely be a first for listeners of Rents Radio. A few months back, we sent a copy of Laura's book, a Secret History of the World, to Jeff. I am not sure if he is ready yet, but there is lots of background reading there to whet his appetite. So as you can see, we're trying to be friendly and build bridges and make amends here. So then uh, James Neff writes back after Joe had written to him about the publication of the defamatory articles, and Jeff says, yes, I seem to remember this incident. This is James. Yeah, James is writing, yes, I seem to remember this incident. And then in response to Joe's comments about hyperdimensions that didn't get much airtime, he writes, yes, Jeff has a definite method to how he approaches subjects and has a feel for what he thinks the audience will be able to absorb in the time frame given, and what is the most important factor needing to be imparted that they will more aptly accept. I've noticed over the years how he will indeed steer clear of certain areas, and I think it's because he doesn't want to complicate an already complicated conspiracy concept or what have you. So then, on the suggestion of talking about these subjects on Jeff Rents' radio show, the answer was, I'll check with Jeff and find out. Right now, we're so swamped with reorganization after a major disaster with an audio company that it's difficult to get Jeff's attention for five minutes. But I'll do my best to keep putting this under his nose. The check is in the mail. Yeah, (laughs) the check is in the mail. So... Joe wrote to notify him of the date of the publication of the Washington Post article, since he had already mentioned to him that uh, that I'd been interviewed. 
And he said, hi, James, just wanted to alert you and Jeff to an article today in the Washington Post about the Pentagon strike flash we produced. Jeff may be interested in putting it up on Rince.com. In fact, we would appreciate it if you could put in a good word for us, if that's possible. And then he gives the link. After reading that, you may want to check out our Signs of the Times page for today where we discuss the subject. Gives the link. Just as a heads up, if Jeff does, does link to the Post article, he may well receive some flaming mails and article submissions in response from the same people that got a little worked up last year when they heard Laura was to speak on Jeff's show. As I already said, con men and New Age grifters, to say the least. So, as it happened, of course, Jeff did not carry the Pentagon strike. Now, remember, this is probably the one thing that baited those neocons out of their lair and made them go to work to debunk it. They published in Popular Science. Uh, Chertoff uh, took over the company and, and made sure that the article was completely slanted. And you will notice, of course, that no mention was ever made of our website, nor was a link given. It was only referred to obliquely. And, of course, there were plenty of, you know, tinfoil hat remarks, et cetera, et cetera. This is in the Washington Post article. You mean, yeah. Well, no, I'm t- in the... In the rebuttals from... In the, in the, in the, the scientific American... Like in, in and popular, popular, mechanics. popular mechanics. and, and, and the, Yeah, and this was at the point that uh, it was uh, approximately 500 million people had seen this and, and popular mechanics and these other publications... You know, couldn't even, they couldn't even name it. It was, you know, too it was, scary. It was so, it was the, the thing that must not be named. That is what the Pentagon strike was. Because once a person saw the Pentagon strike and saw a link to our website, they came to our website, began to explore our material. My God, what might happen to their thinking processes? They might begin to wake up. And, of course, we had a very good case you know, to prove our point, and that's one thing they absolutely did not want people to to, to link to. Yeah, what they would get would uh, would have been, uh, or what the people do get is an antidote to the to the propaganda and the lies that uh, that are like a disease. Uh, you know, from uh, from the mainstream media and even from from alternative news sites. You know. Yeah. Well, at this point, I. I had begun to notice because since I was noticing what Rents was not, and, and, and he was not publishing this, even with all of this email correspondence going on behind the scenes that most of the public are not aware of, that we were corresponding, we were suggesting articles, we were sending him links, uh, we were advertising on his website, paying him money, and so forth, and yet he wasn't going to touch the Pentagon strike. He had it up for a short period of time, and then it went down. And then, oh, probably a year or so later, when I wrote an article saying, oh, you know, it was there for a short period of time, and then it disappeared, then he relinked it. But he linked it to another website that was hosting it, and they were hosting an altered version that had removed the link to Signs of the Times at the end of the production. So he was not absolutely going to link to the original website. And, I mean, the Pentagon strike was not even hosted on our website. It was hosted on its own server because we had to get a get a server and pay a lot of money for it because there's so many hits to it. But anyway, as I was noticing these things and considering the fact that I was still remembering that 
you know, I was probably the only person Jeff Rance had ever invited on his radio show to be a guest and then published defamation piece about them, you know, even before the, 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 the interview. And I was noticing other things. I was noticing a very peculiar, almost fundamentalist slant to some of the articles that Jeff would publish. Uh, and I mean the ones that were produced by either Jeff or James Neff. Now, of course, he, he says, you know, if, if you don't give the right of free speech to everybody, then he, he has some kind of little saying on it. Do you remember what it is that, uh, they, you know, that everybody should have the right to free speech? So he publishes everything, and, and he has a disclaimer that he doesn't necessarily agree with anything. It's all a big hodgepodge. He doesn't carefully select articles, you know, for their content or, or whatever. He just, you know, throws it all up there. But I noticed that there. There's some articles that he carefully doesn't select, however. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does a negative selection. So I noticed this almost fundamentalist Christian slant, and that was a little bit of a concern to me. Uh, and those of you who have read my my series on who wrote the Bible and who've read the Secret History of the World uh, know that uh, religion, including Christianity as it is promulgated, is probably the biggest fraud that has ever been put over on the human race. So I asked Joe if, during his correspondence with James Neff, if he could find out a little bit about you know what their particular Christian beliefs were over there at Jeff Rents. So Joe wrote, Hi, James. Since you are coming from a Christian perspective, if you get a chance, could you have a look at the below link and tell us what you think of this Christian writer? And he sent him a link to a uh, a writer who writes about the beast of Revelation and so forth. And th- th- this was designed to essentially extract from him what he believed himself. So James Neff wrote back, Hi, Joe. I'm not familiar with this particular author, though he seems to be a traditional thinker when it comes to interpreting the revelation and prophecy, which is not always wrong, of course, but I often find it presumptuous. A lot of Christian prophecy writers use what I call the barrel of monkeys method of interpretation. Remember that game? You dip your blue monkey into the barrel and hope it picks up another blue monkey and not a red one? Well, these guys don't care if it's blue or red, so long as it's a monkey. And then they claim one scripture connects to another. That's how people like Tim LaHaye and such come up with justifications and rationale for their idiotic pre-tribulation rapture doctrines, which are so countered by scripture 10 to 1 that it's ridiculous. I wrote a paper on pre-trib lie some time ago. You might find it interesting. See uh, rents.com internal slash n dot htm. These are the same flatheads who believe the second coming of Jesus Christ to the world means the end of the world for all non-believers. But that's not what scripture tells us at all. They ignore Jesus' own teachings about his return and the government he will establish. They ignore the prophet Zechariah, especially chapters 12 through 14, where he clearly states there will be survivors from among the nations who will be taught the mysteries of God and will come up once a year and worship the Lord who will reign from the throne of David. They believe hell is a spiritual place where souls go to for torment even now, when the scriptures tell us plainly where and when hell will occur. Isaiah tells us exactly where it will be located, how the lava pool will be created, who will be destroyed there and why, all ignored by the church. Oh man, I'm off on a tangent ranting. Sorry about that. This is one of those subjects that really gets me going. Prophecy. Hell, the church and the horrible mischaracterization of the second coming by 99% of Christendom 
What really irks me is the way most Christians totally avoid the reality of the second resurrection. They want to play the believe in Jesus now or perish game, and that is not the message or teaching of Christ Jesus now at all. There will be a second resurrection wherein the saints, all believers who come up in the first resurrection and live during the millennial reign of Christ, will judge the world and angels. The second resurrection will be an opportunity to teach those who have never known or heard Reform those who rebelled but whose hearts were deceived, as it says, the dead will be judged according to their works, contrasted to the judgment of the elect, which is by faith alone, and many will be found written in the book of life. Only the enemies of God and his Christ will be destroyed forever. At least, that's how I read the word without throwing out whole scriptures or explaining others' way to fit a preconceived doctrine. He can be quite eloquent when he starts ranting on something that... uh means something to him. Yes, well, he continues in another another email because Joe had written to ask him, you know, how did he see the Jews playing in this end-time scenario? And he writes, As per your question on the Jews, I don't think we'll see any resolution to the conflict until the second coming. Only Christ will be able to bridge the gap between Jews, Christians, Muslims, and will. Zechariah 12 through 14 tells us that when he returns, he will cut off, destroy two-thirds that are in the land, but spare one-third of the Jews as a remnant, and they will be vouched and survived to see and live in the kingdom he will establish as mortals. This one-third, in addition to the 144,000 male virgins to be selected by Christ as a millennial priesthood for the Jews, will be the national Israel of the kingdom period, 1,000 years. This present era Israel is what I call un-Israel. It's a fraud. It was created by the UN. Most of the Jews in the land today are Ashkenazi and not true Jews, but the land will be rid of them, I believe, when Christ returns. As the prophets say, in that day they shall take hold of the arm of Jew and say, let us go with you. Let us go up to the house of the Lord and learn of your ways. The believers from the first resurrection will be immortals and living and reign with Christ during the thousand-year period with much to do restoring the planet and civilization to a righteous plane of existence. There's another interesting thing noted in Zechariah 12 through 14. When Messiah descends from heaven and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, precisely where he ascended, it will split in two by a great earthquake and make a passage for the fleeing Jews as Armageddon breaks out, which thankfully Christ will put to an end before it even really begins, destroying the son of perdition, Antichrist, and false prophet, and obliterating the world's war machines in one moment by the sword of his mouth. Then comes the saying, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The armies of the world will have been gathered together in the great basin of Megiddo, Armageddon, and there Christ will destroy them. According to Isaiah, this becomes the lake of fire, the place of lava and brimstone, which will burn throughout the 1,000-year reign. This is Gehenna, or hell. This is also where the enemies of God will be destroyed after the 1,000-year reign and the final judgment after the second resurrection. Are you all getting confused by this? Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyhow, this is James Neff speaking here. Jesus even quotes Isaiah on this when he mentions Gehenna, so we know precisely what hell he refers to. The Jewish people have a date with destiny because they neglected their calling when they rejected the Messiah. I believe that is the purpose of the thousand years to once again offer them as a people the opportunity to walk in God's statutes and be obedient to him and he will dwell among us in the person of Jesus Messiah. 
But I think that the revelation hints at the fact that once again they will fail, for the most part. There there will always be a remnant according to God's election and choice. The first century church itself was truly the remnant of Israel, as they were all Jews when Christ came and he called out the elect ones. I do believe UFOs and aliens will play a very big part in the last days. If tomorrow a man with supernatural powers started performing miracles, it wouldn't phase Dan, rather. It wouldn't make the evening news, even if he raised the dead. The secular world believes such things are nonsense or tricks. But if a being from another world came and claimed to be our progenitor, our creator, and offered evidence and demonstrated a vast technology far beyond our comprehension, both scientist and shepherd alike would be convinced. Worship is nothing more than total allegiance, and this being, the son of perdition, will likely garner this allegiance from the world, especially when he embarks on his campaign of resolving world debt and bringing a false peace in the Mideast. With his false prophet, he will be accepted as savior of the world. His false miracles and wonders will be advanced technology. Even that he could call down fire from heaven in the presence of men. He will be the perfect missing piece of every puzzle. He will be the glorious Muslim Imam, the seventh Buddha, Maitreya, the Christ, the ultimate communist man, the Zoroastrian star man, the uberman for the fascists, the super scientist for the empiricists, the loving space brother for the extraterrestrialists, just like Satan before his fall, from whom he will take his power and authority. He will fill up the sum of the pattern of all things. I personally believe he will possess the Ark of the Covenant, which was, in effect, a transceiver between Yahweh and Moses. The Ark is also a throne, and this evil one will take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God by sitting on the mercy seat of the Ark, precisely what Satan lost. For when he was the anointed cherub which guarded in the prehistory, it was his duty to occupy the mercy seat of the heavenly Ark in Christ's absence. When he began to take worship to himself in that mode, he was cast as dung from God's holy mountain. He declared he would overcome this, saying, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. It's interesting to me that the apostles labeled Judas the son of perdition. In Acts, and the Revelation tells us of the final evil king, whom some call the Antichrist, who was, is not, and will be. And Paul also calls the evil one to come the son of perdition, that man of sin. It's highly possible that the suicide of Judas did not end this spiritual role in events at all. Okay, I'm blathering my head off now. I'm sure you didn't want that. But suffice it to say, the Jews will play a powerful role in the end times, as it is they, chiefly, who will be first deceived by the evil one along with the church, the great falling away of Second Thessalonians, when the man of sin is revealed. So you understand that after that I didn't ask him any more questions. About, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, we kind of... his beliefs. We kind of like uh, terminated the, the conversation because that was more than enough for us to, to, to take in to realize that this is the philosophical underpinning for the Jeffrey website. So, things proceeded. We had our little banner ad. This was back in 2004. And then 2005 came along. John Kaminsky was writing a lot of articles uh, that were being published on rents, and we were enjoying reading some of them because we, you know, it, it was very touching to read somebody who had so much passion. And at a certain point, I noticed that, you know, that he he was really... 
he was really seeing things in a very dark and distorted way that he he didn't he didn't understand that he didn't understand the hyperdimensional reality. He didn't understand the physics of the things. He didn't understand the, the principles of networking. I mean, he was so desperate and alone and a voice crying in the wilderness, and it was really sad. So I wrote to him at one point, and we had, a, you know, an off-and-on exchange, just a comment here or a comment there in 2005. And then towards the end of the summer, I noticed that his writing was really going south. I mean, he, he started to sound like a, a spittle-flecked madman, you know, and, and just ranting the same thing over again, the Jews, the Jews, the evil Jews, you know, Jews, Jews. And it was just, it was really quite disturbing to read some of these rants because it, you, you could see that he was getting ready to tip over the edge. So at one point... I wrote an email to him. I'm going to try to give, give you this exchange. And John Kaminsky wrote, The new phrase, courtesy of CIA and Tavistock, is slides. And we were talking about uh, counterintelligence, and I was trying to suggest to him that maybe somebody was influencing his writing and causing him to become unglued, and he was... He was saying things that were going to cause him some problems at some point, and I really hated to see a voice so uh, so powerful as his to be taken down in such a way. So that this was essentially what I was writing to him about, was to just give him a little warning to, to, to take a deep breath and to think about, you know, surviving another day because, you know, this was going to be a long haul, and you don't want to get your, you don't want to run out on the battlefield and yell Geronimo and get yourself blown up. I we mean, don't, we don't need martyrs. We don't need martyrs. We need people, you know, to 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 keep working for the truth. So that's what I had written to him about. So he said the new phrase, courtesy of CIA and Tavistock, is slides, a place where the mind goes and can't go any farther, because it is locked up with contradictory information. That's the 9-11 block, a slide, where in order to admit the real truth means obliterating everything you've learned to that point. Well, that, that's a pretty reasonable thing to say. And so I wrote back, the ones who make it past the block are those who have such a strong internal drive for truth that sustains them even when everything else is gone. And it goes on. I, I'm not going to read this whole email uh, because most of it is what I was writing about Gurdjieff and consciousness, and I was basically trying to give John a little, a little support for his situation, and some context, and some context to understand what was going on. And John Kaminsky writes, "I am feeling the need to run and hide full force right now. My new girlfriend, Jewish, is accusing me of abuse because I send her stories about you know what." And when she gets all teary-eyed, saying how many nice Jewish people she knows, I have twice gone into a paroxysm of silence, and she's calling that abuse. So I wrote back that it was an interesting juxtaposition of statements above that the one runs right into the other, that he is feeling the need to run and hide and having this new girlfriend. I said, logically speaking, from the point of view of the sleeping or hypnotized person, she is right. There are many very nice Jewish people. There are also many very nice Christian people, many nice Muslim people. I know some of each variety personally. But I also know that as long as they have those sacred cows riding on their backs, as long as they are asleep to what is really out there, there is no possibility of any equal exchange of energy or knowledge. 
That's not to say that there cannot be mutual assistance on several levels, but there is always a part of myself that cannot be expressed in their presence because it will shoot their sacred cows. Actually, sacred cows are more like white elephants. And then I gave him a couple more, you know, helpful quotes to make him feel better. And then he writes, The noises in my head are getting real loud. I need to keep focusing on what I know and hear on the Internet for as long as I can. So I wrote back, I don't think that you mean that you are hearing voices. I rather think that you mean that the inner screaming of horror at what you are seeing all around is growing within. Yes, only conscience can bring about such pain and misery. And uh, then he says, my house is falling down, my money's run out, I can't clear the brain space to get new books out so I can keep going. So he was obviously in a very bad situation. And so then I said, seems that your problems boil down to two things. One, you need a recharge of creative energy, and two, you need some practical help, a network of support. Do you have a passport? Can you leave for seven to ten days? If so, we can get you a round-trip ticket. You can come and we can talk. It's better to know people face-to-face before you decide if you will accept help from them. No strings attached. Quite possibly, such an activity might generate the recharge you so desperately need right now. As to what we will discuss, we've recently found a new publishing company, and we have a group member with friends in the printing business in the Bulgaria, which is where my book was printed. If you get the needed recharge and can be assured in your own mind that the network is helpful, get your juices flowing again, maybe we can talk about something. We have some ideas we'd like to share face-to-face, so give it a bit of thought, but don't take too long. So he wrote back and says, yes, I'm ready to go. And I asked him which airport, and we settled on the dates, and we bought the ticket. And just a few days went by, and he was supposed to come in, oh, I mean, less than two weeks. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I got an email from John Kaminsky saying, Please regard this information as confidential to the highest degree. If it gets to the wrong place, it could severely damage all three of us. This afternoon, I got a note from France from an utterly reliable, highly placed source in the revisionist movement, warning me that as soon as I step off the plane in Paris, I will be arrested for what are cutely called statements defaming the memory of the dead. You probably know them as Holocaust revisionism laws. My source in France informed me that I am on the watch list that has entrapped so many others who have spoken about that certain subject in a forthright way. She is intimately connected to principles of the movement, including some who have been caught in the net and wound up with endless legal hassles and many thousands of dollars in legal fees, not to mention long prison sentences for a few of the really unlucky ones. It appears that several things have allowed me to end up on this list. First, obviously, has been my Internet presence and opinions, which are no secret to anyone. But beyond that are two I hadn't anticipated – One is the cover of my second book, deemed offensive and illegal by certain parties. The others are multiple emails to Germany and other countries in which I have let my ardor for the truth overcome common sense and caution. These emails apparently were flagged for content and filed for future action. It also appears that I am well on the list for my appearance in Ernst Zundel's new book, in which he used one of my essays as the introduction and later on said many flattering things about me. 
Ernst, of course, is now serving an indefinite sentence in Mannheim Prison for similar and more public indiscretions. Now, are you beginning to see how John Kaminsky was taken over by counterintelligence psyops? When I got the note from my friend in France, I immediately contacted a very reliable source in Australia and Canada for their takes on this warning, and they both confirmed her assessment that the undesirable hazard was very likely, if not certain. The trouble with that trip is that you can't defend yourself because the minute you bring up any statements relevant to a legitimate defense, they stop you with new charges for more offenses relative to defaming. So for my own safety and yours as well, I must at this late date decline your invitation. I had so looked forward to chatting about Pythias of Massilia and the Aryan horde from Taklamakan and the many other nooks and crannies to which I'm sure our conversations would have taken us. I absolutely love your books, and I'm sure it won't be long before I am delving into them further for useful vignettes to explain why this manipulated mess of humanity is in the trouble it is in. As regards the ticket, let me know as soon as possible how we can salvage the value of it. It could be that a change in dates could enable someone else to use it. But it appears from the information I have, I can't use it anytime soon, if ever, as long as current conditions remain in place. It really pisses me off that the absolutely best trip I could ever have taken has been thwarted by this, but discretion is the better part of valor, and we both have important jobs that we need to continue to do without running afoul of powerful jerks playing head games. Powerful jerks playing head games. Yeah, powerful jerks. Oh, boy. Well, the problem is is that the information John received was incorrect. Powerful jerks playing head games. Yeah, because the fact is, and we know this for a fact, that... France is not in the business of arresting anybody at an airport unless they have committed a crime in France or against a French citizen and an official complaint has been filed and a, and a, and a judgment has been established. And just to be sure, we contacted our attorney and inquired about this, and he pretty much said the same thing. Now, of course, if the U.S. had already tried John Kaminsky for some kind of hate crimes and he was escaping to France and because of the treaties between the two countries and he was a wanted person, they would have picked him up and handed him back over to the U.S. If there had already been charges filed against him and some kind of of warrants put out for him, which would have been public knowledge, you know, from Germany, and they demanded his, his extradition from France, that was also a remote possibility, but it was so remote as to be almost ridiculous because, you know, as everybody knows, David Irving traveled in France back and forth and all around for a very long time, and it was only when he set foot in Germany that he was arrested. So Germany didn't even get him through France. So this was a a fairly ridiculous idea. So whoever told John Kaminsky this was telling him a lie. And we, of course, thought, you know, who is it that does not want John Kaminsky to meet with us? So I sent him an email and said, we called our attorney about the issue. He returned the call with a straight scoop, which is, unless a complaint is filed by a French citizen about an event that took place in France within the past two months, there is no possibility of the scenario suggested to you to take place. None, zip, zero, zilch. So that's it. Somebody has fed you a line. So that kind of swayed him. And and then the next thing that happened is that a very strange event took place on that almost that same day because I sent that email telling him, let's see, let's look at the date here. That was on the 4th of August in 2005. And then the very next day on the 5th of August, 
there was news announced that Belgian Holocaust denier Siegfried Verbicki has been arrested at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, Netherlands, and might be extradited to Germany for trial, Belgian newspaper De Standard reported on Friday. A German judge issued an international arrest warrant against Verbecki at the end of last year because he cast doubt on the Internet over whether the Nazis actually killed six million Jews in World War II. Germany asked Belgium to extradite Verbecki last year, but a Belgian judge refused the request. Verbecki has already been convicted in Belgium of denying the Holocaust. The appeals court in Antwerp sentenced him in April this year to a maximum one-year jail term and a 2,500 euro fine for anti-racism laws. So this happened on the very next day. Don't you find that a little bit interesting that suddenly this guy got arrested? Well, so I started feeling a little bit shaky about this whole thing myself, even though we're talking about Belgium and Germany and not France. And a guy who had already been convicted. Yes, and a guy who had already been convicted. Had nothing to do with an American, you know, who had never been charged with anything. So... John writes to me, shit, just when I decided to wing it, what the hell? This has to happen. The original warning I received used the phrase, intensified new campaign, and that's what really got my attention, that and the credibility of the sender. There recently have been more people snatched than you know about. Very big things are about to happen very soon. Could be obliterating Iran, or it could be those eight nukes the Mossad has dispersed around the U.S., I've heard one of them's in Tampa, so I want to keep a big image on the web but a very small image in person. So that's why I don't want to move around too much. Nothing splashy. Stay in the shadows. Move like a shadow. But I think all the rules are going to change radically real soon. Stay safe. You may be closer to disaster than you know. Bird flu is winging your way, but like so much else, they keep quiet about it. Could be the new plagued. I'm saddened by the cost of that ticket. Blah, blah, blah. So that was that. Well, and that would have been that, except that a few a few more days. Let's see, that was on August 5th. On August 19th, something really interesting happened. We're going to end it there for the moment. We'll be back next week with a continuation of this discussion of counterintelligence, black ops, and the 9-11 Truth Movement. For more information, visit our website, www.signs-of-the-times.org. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.